I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and this is The Last Best Thing. It's an interview show centered around one question. What is the last best thing you've watched, read, listened to, or eaten? I ask this question because people love sharing whatever they're enthusiastic about, and I love hearing about it. In today's episode, I'm joined by Roberto José Andrade Franco. My name is Roberto José Andrade Franco. Now, Roberto is one of the best Twitter accounts you can follow, period, and he's an exceptional writer. He's been published in places like Texas Monthly, The Magazine, Deadspin, Remezcla. He is an exceptional writer. Um, I, in fact, I talk about one of the pieces that he wrote that I really liked in, in the interview. You can find links for that in the show notes. But in this particular episode, he wanted to talk to me about the last best thing he's read. And the last best book I read was Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Alide Sainz. We not only spoke about the book, but we spoke about so many other things like what does it mean to be a Mexican man? We went a little bit into El Paso geography and what the West Side kind of looks like compared to the rest of El Paso. We spoke about Mexican dads. Uh, we talked about the Tony Romo fumble, uh, about how deceptively easy but difficult it is to write young adult fiction. And uh, like I said, I also mentioned one of his pieces in here, his Capirotada piece, which is all very good. I really enjoyed this conversation. It has a lot of El Paso, has a lot of Mexican-American, a lot of borderland talk because that is who we are, both of us. Um, so sit back, enjoy me and Roberto talk about the last best thing he's read. So Roberto. Tell me about this book. Why was it so good? What what did you enjoy so much about it? Well, for I guess for the this last few months that we've been in quarantine, I've uh, my wife and I have uh, been reading books, right? Through uh, sometimes through uh, mostly through audio books, just because we're able to to both enjoy it. And, and uh, part of the thing for the last few years, I've been reading a lot of books for 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 what I do uh, for graduate school, but. For the most part, those are books that uh, that I wouldn't read otherwise. They're they're not mm -hmm. books that I've enjoyed really. I'd say probably like a quarter of them I've enjoyed. So as part mm -hmm. of this whole uh, reading during the quarantine, I've gone back and and read books that I've wanted to read. And uh, mm -hmm. Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe was one of them. Uh, and partially because of who Science is, right? He's he's this uh, he's a great author. He's one of the great Latino writers, and he's he's essentially from from our area from the El Paso Juarez borderland even though he was uh he's more from Las Cruces I think yeah uh, yeah but yeah that's that's what I ended up doing and it's one of the best books I've read in in a long time yeah I I think I first heard of Benjamin Alire signs back in El Paso he hosted a radio show on the local NPR and he hosted it with Daniel Chacon I forgot what it was called, but it was like right. Birds on a Wire, I think. Yeah, I didn't even know that UTEP had a creative writing department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither. Uh, and and I think they are the they are the only ones who have a uh, an online, uh, a strictly online uh, creative writing uh, degree. If I if I'm correct. Oh wow! So yeah, I I didn't know that either. But I I think both of them are, are really good authors. But um, Benjamin Alida signs writes a lot about the borderland or he peppers it in in his books and in his writings and things like that and that's something that i really enjoy 
because growing up, you don't see many writings about people that were actually from El Paso. I think the only time that I ever saw El Paso in like a book or something was Cormac McCarthy's stuff, but it's always right. super dark, right? And it's not like, yeah, yeah. it's not my El Paso. Like I, I didn't recognize anything in those books as the El Paso that I grew up in, which is what you see a lot in this, uh, in in Benjamin Lalita Science's work, especially in this book, which I just right, started yeah. reading. Yeah, well, kind of going back to like uh, to that lack of representation, I guess, or you, yeah, growing up, it, it was just never anything of about El Paso or Juarez, and and actually the few times where where Juarez was mentioned, it was like in uh, Tigres del Norte, Corrido Sons, or, or or Vicente Fernandez, and it was always in in this uh, negative connotation about drug smuggling or or being deported back to Juarez. Uh, yeah, so I mean, even then, once once you heard those songs, you kind of uh, felt a certain a certain pride, I guess, for for lack of a better phrase, that that at least people knew where you were from. Mm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, science writes a completely different style. Uh, I mean, this this book is essentially set, uh, it's completely set in El Paso, and one of the one of the things that uh, that I enjoyed about it is that uh, that it has a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of places that that one would recognize, right? So it's easy to 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 place pictures to his words. He talks about the pool at Memorial Park. He talks mm -hmm. about Austin High School. Uh, my parents live not too far from, from Austin High School, so I immediately picture that neighborhood. Uh, he talks about the charcoaler, uh, the, the burger place on the west side. I'm not I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but uh, but yeah, the charcoaler, he talks about, even even a minor character in the book is, is uh, Susie Bird who was a, a, a former city council rep and a EPISD trustee. So I think her parents run Cinco Puntos Press, yeah. who uh, yeah. who published several sciences, other books. So yeah, that that, that really uh, that really helped connect uh, uh, this book with, with where I was and, and who we are. I, I'm speaking of we as me and my wife. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, besides that, it's just great writing. Yeah, I, I recognize the name Susie Bird, and I was all like, wait, isn't that the... I wonder if it's the same lady <laughs> that like the city right. council rep or whatever. And I, I guess it was. And yeah, the, the charcoaler is still open, but it's not, it's not the same owners anymore. It's, um, I don't know if you ever went to that place, Toro Burger Bar back in El Paso. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I went there. Yeah. So they, that the owners of them, of, of Toro bought out the rights from the original owners of the charcoaler. Oh, okay. And so it's like it's back, but it's not it's not the same. It's different. There's also one on like airway right off the airport that we stopped in once when we flew back in. And it was it was fine, but it wasn't anything special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I tried the charcoaler once and I mean, it was it was like one of those things where you hear about it so much and it, it's almost it's almost bound to disappoint you just because it can't <laughs> live up to expectations. But yeah, it's, it's a good burger. But it, I mean, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the greatest that I've had. To me, it's it was yeah. the Chico's Tacos of the West Side. You know, like people that grew up <laughs> yeah. on the people that grew up on the West Side don't go to Chico's Tacos because it's gross, and right, it is right. objectively gross. But it's like people on the East Side, it's just like oh, you go to Chico's Tacos or Lower Valley or whatever South Central. Right. But the West yeah, Side, I, they have the charcoaler. That's it. <laughs> right. It was. I mean, I I think at least in my experience, a lot of El Pasoans, if you're not from the West Side or kind of around the UTEP area. You, I mean, I, I've been to the West Side maybe like five, six times overall, just out of my own willingness to go, yeah. just because it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a different, it's a different part of El Paso, definitely. 
<laughs> yeah. I walked in the, I we drove in the Willows once and I was like, what is this place? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I went out there once uh, and I just, I was just driving and all of a sudden I just passed uh, Franklin High School and I was like, oh, so this is where it's at. And this is huge <laughs> campus that looks like yeah. a college. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, is this a community college? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger than it's bigger than the the community college out in East El Paso. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that going kind of going back to the book, what what would what what is it about? Like I said, I barely started it. I know that it's about two friends um, or two people that seem to be very different that find friendship in in a really like unique and special way. Um, so does it go anything more into that or what's kind of like the basic plot breakdown that you could give us without spoiling? Because I know that I think you're interested in people reading the book more so than anything. Yeah, they should definitely read it. And, uh, I guess the, the main characters are, uh, Aristotle and Dante. Uh, Aristotle is, uh, his name's Angel Aristotle Mendoza, right? <laughs> or Angel Aristoteles Mendoza, uh, how we pronounce it. And he hates that name. He hates he hates Angel, first of all, because he, he thinks that uh, every angel that he's met is kind of a troublemaker, which I mean, there's kind of there's, there's some truth to that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he calls himself Adi because uh, or Ari or Adi just I, I mean, because Aristotle is such a weird, weird name. Uh, but he's kind of like this tough kid who, who likes to fight. He comes from this working class family uh, from central El Paso. He goes to he attends Austin High School. And he meets, he's, he's a loner, right? And that's kind of like what attracts him to to Dante, Dante Quintanilla, who's uh, in many ways, he's the opposite of of, of Adi. He's, uh, he's kind of this sensitive kid, kind of, I, I picture him kind of as an artsy kind of guy who's who hates wearing shoes. Uh, <laughs> his dad's a college professor, an English professor. And even, even uh, Ari talks about how uh, he's never met a, uh, a Chicano, a Mexican American, who was an English professor, right? So this mm -hmm. kid, uh, he's from, he's essentially, he. I think he goes to Cathedral High School. So he's, this is the more, the more middle class, upper class type of El Paso Mexican American experience, mm -hmm. and to the point that uh, part of this, part of the book is essentially trying to figure out what it means to be, to be a man, but more specifically to be a Mexican man. Mm -hmm. Or Mexican American man, I should say. Yeah, yeah. There's in the very few things that I read, it was like one moment that stuck out to me was Ari or Dante is talking about, "Hey, I'm gonna take off my shoes before I come into your house because that's what the Japanese do, right?" And then um, right. Ari tells him, "Like, well, you're not Japanese. We're Mexican." And then Dante says, "Are we Mexican? <laughs> like, what do we know about Mexico?" Right. Right. Like, our parents are Mexican, so I thought that was a super interesting point because it's just like. Yeah, we're Mexican, but are we really Mexican? <laughs> right, and I mean, this is this is part of uh, growing up in El Paso, and even I would say to a certain extent in Juarez that even in Juarez, you're so far removed from yeah. from Mexico City, right? That that is kind of uh, it's it sets the it sets the I don't know if standards the right word, but it's definitely it's definitely influential in what the supposed Mexicanness defines right that that even if you're in Juarez you have much more in common I would say with El Pasoans than you do with with people even in your own uh in your own uh capital of Chihuahua yeah. I mean Chihuahua is yeah. like six seven hours away yeah and uh of course that's that's the same for uh if you grew up in El Pasoan hmm. you I mean 
you have no you have very little connection to people in Austin, Dallas and Houston. Yeah, absolutely. Besides geographically, you are Texan, even though, you know, you're not necessarily considered that uh, culturally, at least it's different. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I remember the first time that we visited San Antonio. I, we were pro I was probably like, I think like eight or nine. And just like walking around the downtown area, I was like, oh, this is Texas. <laughs> like, every time right. that I would see like Texas in movies or stuff like that, I was just like, that's, that's not Texas because I was always thinking of El Paso. But then like even just San Antonio, which isn't even that quote unquote Texan, right? It's more like Tejano or Tex-Mex or whatever. Right. But even that, I was just like, oh, this is Texas. And even ever since then, I was like, El Paso's different or I don't know what it is. And it's definitely that border thing. Yeah, it's that. I mean, the way. I mean, I didn't really notice this until, until I moved out of El Paso. But, you know, you move to to the bigger cities of Texas, and and you realize that there's several different Texases, right? There's like the big city Texas, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. Then there's like the Mexican Texas, which is essentially the borderlands. And then there's there's like the tiny towns in Texas where where you're almost afraid to drive through them after a certain time. <laughs> Uh, my sister for a while lived in Alpine and driving through all of these little towns is like, Oh man, I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck out here in the middle of the night. It even feels like that. Um, like I remember Abilene used to feel like that for me. I'm like, I don't feel like, I think if something were to happen to me here, it, like my family wouldn't hear about it for months or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's yeah. It's definitely a, a wild feeling that, that you're, Essentially, the the reverse of of a lot of people maybe uh, have a certain uh, certain feelings about about these Mexican areas that perhaps they're they're a little scared of them. But I mean, it's the opposite if you're from there, right? That you feel you feel at ease there, even if there is a sense of danger, you feel yeah. at ease there. Yeah. Whereas it's these other tiny towns with the Confederate flag flying and these <laughs> pro-Trump Texans that you're like, oh, I've, this is the scariest place I've ever been. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh -huh. I think another part of um, of the book that kind of touches on on something that at least really resonated with me is the relationship between Ari and his dad. Like right. he's he's way closer to his mom. Like he he jokes around with her. I think the book's like the first chapter is him joking around with his mom about um, like I'm gonna go die at the pool or something like that. Right, right. And and the relationship with his dad is so different. And right. and and it's because. Um, like he doesn't know his dad and and that's a thing that to me personally I was just like I recognize that I see that and it's not because my dad is necessarily like a bad person or something but it's just like they're just quieter I don't know if that's a Mexican dad thing or something but there's this one scene in particular where uh, Dante brings an art book as a gift to to Adi's dad and then Adi's like surprised. He's never seen him smile twice in a row so fast as he's holding right. this book. And then a couple of days later, he's like, he sees his dad show him something in the book. And he's like, I never knew that my dad was into art this way. And right. that to me, I was just like, I recognize that because something similar happened to me once. Like when, when we first installed, I think it was like Hulu or Netflix or something like that. And I set up a profile for my parents and that's it. I, and like, I knew they were using it or whatever, but I never went on it. And one day I went on it. And I looked at like the recently watched and there was all this stuff on the Beatles. And I had no idea that my dad liked the Beatles. Like I had no idea that he even knew who they were or like we had never spoken about it. I'd never seen him listen to it or whatever. 
and I've to this day I haven't spoken to him about it, but it's just like it's something that like expanded the universe of my dad to I'm like, how does he know the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, my my dad. I mean, I connected with that as part of the book because like Adi's Adi's father was a was a Vietnam vet, and mm. he didn't he never spoke about his experience. And uh, my dad was in the military. He was, uh, yeah, he was in the military, and he ended up uh, going to Afghanistan. And, and yeah, there was, there was. I mean, he definitely changed when he came back. I mean, everybody everybody noticed it, and I mean, he himself would say it. Uh, but yeah, there was just some some things that 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 just weren't said, right? Even before going to war, but definitely after. But uh, you say that about your discovering your parents or your dad that likes the Beatles. My dad for a while got into Creed a lot, <laughs> right? To the uh, they they at Creed I think or at least Scott Stapp uh, performed at uh, at the at the casino in in, uh, in El Paso for one of them free concerts, summer yeah, night concerts, Speaking Rock concerts. Yeah, yeah Speaking Rock. And my brother and him went to go watch, and I always thought, I mean, for a while, kind of made fun of him, and then I stopped just because you know that's. I didn't want to make fun of him anymore, yeah. but I, I thought that was one of the funniest things. Maybe not funny, but unexpected things right. that that you know he's uh, he's listening to Creed, and we've never talked about it. Yeah, yeah. There's so much. I think that's one of the things that it's just like there's so much humanity. Like our parents are people too, <laughs> and it's just like sometimes it's so easy to forget when they get in that role of just mom and dad, right? And right, right, and. I think that's something that this book, at least in what I've read so far, does a great job of doing is showing that humanity of your of 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 parents that they were that they're fully formed people too with their own histories, likes, dislikes, like even dreams. I don't think I've ever spoken with my dad about a dream, and I realize that in this movie because I mean in this book, sorry, um, because Aristotle has really bad dreams, and his dad at one point just says, "I have bad dreams too," and. Right. It's just like, okay, that's no big deal when you've seen it in a vacuum. But when you really think about it, I've never spoken with my dad about dreams. Like, it's just like, I'm realizing now that there are so many things that I don't, that I haven't spoken with my dad about. That it's just like, I could speak with a stranger about. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, entirely. I've, I mean, I have, I have trouble sleeping for, for a variety. I don't know. You know, I used to, I used to say, I guess I've kind of rethought this. I think I, that's just my sleeping pattern. Uh, just waking up early and going to, you know, I don't, I don't sleep much. And uh, my dad would wake up like at two or three in the morning and, and we'd be like essentially sitting right next to each other. Both. We just like, all right, we can't sleep. And that's it. We never spoke about why we couldn't sleep. We couldn't, we never spoke about what, what perhaps changed because we used to be able to sleep. You know, you're just both sitting there. I'd be reading, he'd be watching TV and then, that was just the way it was. We just, we just had trouble sleeping, and and that's that's as far as it went. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so weird, but I mean, if anything, so far, just that's one thing that I've already gotten out of this book, which just like maybe I should I should talk with my dad about something else other than because you know I call him pretty frequently, especially in this whole lockdown, just to check in on them and. But it's mostly just like, what did you do today, and what what are you watching on TV, right? But it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing a little more profound than that, and that's something that that this so far has has at least right. shown me and taught me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I really don't talk much to my dad over the phone. I mean, we have a good relationship, but uh, you know, he's he's not really much of a phone call guy, and <laughs> uh, and when he does call, it's usually like at eight in the morning. 
and I'm usually immediately see it and I'm panicked because I think something horrible's happened. Yeah. And uh, I mean, nine times out of ten, it's been that uh, he accidentally logged off of Netflix and he wants the code back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think my dad um he uh he recently upgraded my Netflix because you know how if you have the basic account you can only have I think two or three devices on at once. Right. And I set it up on like both their TVs and I guess my mom was watching Netflix in one room and then we were watching Netflix here and all of a sudden I got an email that was like you just upgraded your account or something like that. and i was like how, how did that happen <laughs> and so i call my dad and i ask him oh you fuck is haciendo and he was like no aquí no más viendo netflix y mi mamá también ya viendo and i connected the dots and so he got that pop up and he just put like upgrade or something like that right. he didn't even notice but i'm like ah it's all good we probably need it now more than ever yeah yeah there's another part in the book that I thought was really cool where he, well, it's just like a little line, but it really stuck out with me. And he said something about like, there's Adi's talking and he says, there's two types of, of, of boys. There's boys that have tears in them and boys that don't. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a great, like kind of going back to that whole, what does it mean to be a Mexican man or like a Mexican American right. man? I really think that is a big differentiator, at least in, in my personal experience to to how I guess Mexican masculinity is taught, right? It's it, it, you yeah. no no or something like that, and just talking about it like that was was really cool. I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. Right. I mean, I mean, growing up in this Mexican culture, that is, it's it's very much infused with machismo, and I mean, whether people admit it or not, it has a debilitating effect on everyone, right? It it, uh, it influences how how you think of yourself. Obviously, it has much more debilitating effects on women, uh, but I mean, it's 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 impacted uh, how I look at myself in a certain way, right? Because certain things don't make you man enough, quote unquote, because you act a certain way, because you look a certain way, because you speak a certain way, because because your name is Dante Quintanilla, right? And people mm -hmm. think of you as different because there's a there's kind of a well, not kind of there's a stereotype of what a Mexican man should be. And yeah. and this is one of the great things that this book does that neither of these guys are entirely uh, what you would classify as 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 what a quote unquote Mexican man should be. Right. Definitely not Dante, who going back to your example, he'd be the kind of guy who who cries openly, uh, whereas Adi is definitely the one who, who kind of tries to to hide his emotions. Right. And, and whatever emotions he does display, it's through through anger and through through fighting yeah i think that's definitely what the 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 main theme of of this book of, of discovering who you are and trying to find your place in the world in this universe uh where you don't entirely fit the stereotype no i thought it was it was because it, that just resonated so much with me i just remember like i have this image of i it was in elementary school i don't remember the grade specifically but we were i was hanging out with a bunch of like friends of friends, you know, all of a sudden there's like a big group of kids and we were like all playing soccer or whatever. And then some older kids came and like they started picking fights with us. And like this one kid, they just zeroed in on him and they like beat him up. And I remember when, when they all left, the kid was crying. And in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, he's crying because it sucks to get beat up. Right. And right. when everyone was like that, like I remember other kids were like, Eh, no llore, no llore, no llore. And then I remember he just said, es que estoy muy enojado. 
And I was <laughs> like, dude, I, I don't know if you're really angry or if you're just covering for it because it sucks to get beat up. It's not right. It's okay for things to hurt. But ever since that, I was just like, I that's something that is just like, I know that kid was in pain because it's embarrassing to get beat up. But I don't know if it just all came from anger or if it's that's how he internalized. Like, that's how he expressed his pain or his sorrow or whatever. But that's definitely something that's very real, um, at least growing up as in our culture. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, at, at some of these like family parties, there's always somebody drinks too much and then starts crying. And the next day, everybody's kind of making fun of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> everybody's like, you drank way too much. You even started crying about some shit that happened years ago. And it's like all of this pent up emotions and frustrations that you just can't can't fully explain while you're sober or else you get. You get clowned even worse yeah. that they eventually have to come out. <laughs> it's so messed up, but it, it, it totally happens. I'm even remembering now a cousin one time crying over um, <laughs> over chicken legs. We had like chicken legs on the grill <laughs> and he's just standing there crying and he just looks at him and he says, Maldita miseria. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are, these are, I mean, it's funny because I, I guess in a way we're kind of hiding our own, our right. own pain, but, uh, I mean, it just comes out into weirdest places like uh, your cousin or, or I have I had a close family member who uh, I don't want to say his name just in case he's not he doesn't want to admit it. But when Tony Romo fumbled that 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 extra point, he just cried. Oh, yeah. And he was like he was in his 20s. I mean, he was drunk, but uh, he just kept saying not like this, not like <laughs> Not like this, and, and, and uh, like I wanted to laugh, but I also understood it, right? Not yeah. just not just because of the Tony Romo thing, even though that's that's a whole separate thing, but because whatever he's been hiding, whatever he's been kind of like putting down into his just keeping keeping locked in, it just it just came out in this in this playoff game, right? It's just like any excuse, like it just comes to a point where something breaks the what is it the straw that breaks the camel's back and the the floodgates are unleashed and it's just like there's got to be a healthier way to handle these things right right there's an uh so technically this book is considered young adult right like young adult fiction or something like that yeah and to be honest i i don't know if it's because i'm a snob or whatever but i i every time i see like young adult i'm like nah, i don't want to read that because i feel like it's right. gonna be sappy or just like melodramatic or simple or whatever but yeah like i said i barely started this book i think i just finished section one and right away i'm like oh man this is a good book the <laughs> do you have that same prejudice because i know you're more of a writer than i am um for the listeners uh roberto's been published on like texas monthly and dallas magazine deadspin all of these good places so i don't know if you as a writer see that differently or wh what do you think is that division between young adult and non-young adult fiction no, I mean, I definitely see that division because, I mean, I, rec I relate it to, to books we read in high school, right? Perhaps perhaps this has changed a little bit, but the books we read in high school were were, were not anything that I connected with, right? It was, it was, it was, I mean, flowers for Algernon type of shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm thinking, I can't even think of the other ones, but essentially there were books that I, 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 I couldn't relate to. I think if I read this in high school, this I would completely relate to. Mm -hmm. I read another book uh, not too long ago, uh, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by uh, Erica Sanchez. Okay. And that, uh, I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm not a woman, but I completely related to that as well. 
right? And that's also another uh, young adult novel. Uh, so, yeah, I used to I used to be hesitant to even pick up something if I saw it labeled young adult or YA. But more recently, I've been trying to read books by by Latino writers, by underrepresented voices, by people of color, mm-hmm. and and I've really enjoyed them, right? In, in, including these. Yeah, I think the only book in high school that I read that was like, oh, that's kind of something similar to to my upbringing was uh, Bless Me Ultima. I don't know if you read that one in high school. But no, we didn't. You, you know what? A lot of my high school was just, I wasn't a good student. I, <laughs> I did the bare minimum. Yeah. So I was probably, uh, I was probably skimming a lot. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember, uh, I don't remember reading that. I mean, we might have. It's, it's, it's very possible we might have. I just, I just blocked it out. Yeah, Bless Me Ultimo was pretty good. It, I don't know, kind of. I kind of want to reread it because looking back on the things, it's just like, okay, there's a curandera and one of them's like a farmer and the other. So I don't know if it's, um, if it's too. I don't, I don't want to say like exploitative or something like that, stereotypical. But I remember parts of it resonating with me because it's also this whole dual identity thing of like, am I the frontier or am I the city kind of kind of conflicts right. within someone. Um, but I think also you you make a point that it's just like a lot of people of color, uh, their voices are being published in the YA space, which is which is helpful because I don't know if, if, if it benefits from that notion of snobs like me having like, oh, it's not serious literature or whatever. But if that's where people are getting published and millions of people, like YA literature is more popular than ever, then it's obviously serious. Right. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, it's like one of those things that it looks easy and it looks even, even childish, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Mm. And then you try to do it. You try to write a uh, dialogue and it is difficult, right? <laughs> I, I relate this to, to my own writing and trying to write about food once and you know it seems like writing about food would be so simple and then you try at least personally i tried to do it and it was terrible like i was embarrassed to even send it out uh that's how bad it was but yet you read like the good people the 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 great people who write about food jose ralar uh uh uh, gustavo arellano and Mm -hmm. and they make it seem so so effortless that i'm assuming that's what happens with the YA. no yeah that's that's definitely true but your piece on Capirotada was really good, man. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, that was, I don't know, man. I feel like most of this stuff is just kind of, uh, I sometimes fear that uh, that I'm just uh, writing about my life and using, forcing stuff in there. But, you know, I mean, that's that's what happens sometimes. No, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to link to, the sh- uh, link to that piece on the show notes because it was really good. But that that's a good point, too, where it's just, there is a lot of skill in being succinct. There's a lot of skill in, in being simple, right? It's, it's easy. It's easier to get like jumbled up words and be verbose and kind of just speak for the sake of speaking, but the economy of words and saying something in fewer words is definitely a lot harder. Um, And that's an aspect I hadn't considered with YA because they're generally shorter or the dialogue is different or something. And, and it, that definitely takes a lot more skill than I originally thought about it. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's it's writing shorter is its own skill, and it's much more difficult, uh, at least in my experience, where where uh, where if you have more of a uh, more of a word count, you could you could kind of go off on tangents and do something else. But if you have a very specific five hundred word limit, it's it's getting right down to the point, right? And with YA literature, you have to get 
right to it and you have to have a a, a certain uh, certain dialogue that that has to be realistic right because you you have to be able to imagine a 55 56 60 year old i'm not sure how old uh science is but let's just say he's he's definitely not a teenager uh, <laughs> that he has to be believable as dante and adi right because mm-hmm. they you hear them talking you're like oh yeah that that that's a high schooler yeah yeah definitely and um have you read anything else by by benjamin alida signs that that you that is like up there with this one in terms of of how of how much you enjoyed it i read uh everything begins and ends at the kentucky club and, and the kentucky club for those that don't know is, is a very famous historic bar in, in downtown juarez mm-hmm. uh but i read that years ago and i don't remember even though i think that one won him a lot of awards more than this this book uh I don't remember that one. I don't remember much of it, really, to be honest. And this one was much more impactful. Besides, uh, besides him uh, or or his character, kind of uh, trying to figure out their lives and everything, ending them beginning in what in, in in Kentucky Club. Yeah, yeah. I, I I read the Kentucky Club too, and I I'm in the same boat as you. Like I I try, and I really I really don't remember it. Um, I, it's not that it was a bad book. I remember enjoying it, but I just, I can't remember that much about it. Um, right. where, so like I said, the, I read the beginning of this book and it, I'm going to finish it all, but where, where, where does this book end or what trip does it take us on, um, that, that you would want to let the listeners know? Well, it's essentially, uh, uh, Adi, who's the narrator discovering, discovering his place in the world right as it relates to dante as it relates to 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 being an el paso to being a, a mexican-american to to his life to even his past even his brother one of the uh one of the things we haven't talked about is uh his brother is a character on this on this book even though he he i don't think he comes out perhaps but you know one of the things that the family doesn't talk about is what happened to his brother his brother is is in prison right or he I'm not sure if you've gotten to that part yet. Yeah, but yeah, they talk about it. Yeah, he says um, that he can't talk about his brother because his mom and dad get sad or something like that. Right. So his brother's in prison, and and it isn't until much later that we find out why uh, and and how he ended up there. But that's entirely related to 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 who Adi is or who discovers that he is. And yeah, that's I mean that's one of those things that. That every family has their secrets that 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 you just don't bring up. I mean, there's always a couple of chismosos who who will uh, who will bring it up and ask things about it. But I mean, at least personally, I know there's plenty of stuff that that I just don't bring up just because because it's uncomfortable because you're I don't know, in a certain way you're taught better than that mm-hmm. uh, because they're secrets and 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 in this family, the Mendoza family. The brothers definitely uh, one of the secret fam- family secrets. Wow, no, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it um, to to finish reading this book because I think we spoke about it a couple of days ago and you're like, yeah, I, w- I would like to talk about this and I was like, oh, I haven't read it and last night I like just bought it and I was like, oh, I'll read the first page and the next thing I know I was done with the first section so I was like, okay, this <laughs> this this thing got me got me good. It's it's such good writing. Yeah, it's it's I mean. With me, it's one of those books. I have a stack of books that I have not read because I've because I've been wanting to read and I just n- didn't have a chance. But there's certain books that 
that I bought and they're like, I don't know why I bought that. I'm, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep pushing it off, pushing it off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is kind of one of those books that, that I, I really had very little expectations from. And once I started reading, it was impossible to put down. Sweet. Well, yeah, I, I think it's a, I know right now there's a lot of us that have stacks like that. Mine just keeps growing because I start a book, then I start another one. Like, I think I'm reading like four books at once. So I, right. but I got it. I got it. I think I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to get through this one and, and I feel like the listeners would, would enjoy adding this to their list. So is there any last words that you want to give about this book or about just anything else? No, I, I think, uh, I think people should read this book. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for talking to me about um, Dante and Aristotle discover the secrets of the universe or is it Aristotle and Dante? <laughs> Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. All right. Well, thanks, Roberto. Thank you, Rodrigo. The Last Best Thing is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Rodrigo Nunez. I want to thank Roberto once again for joining me. You can find him on Twitter at R underscore Andrade Franco. He's got a great account. You can just Google his name and look for his writing anywhere or at his own website, boxingandhistory.com. Everything he writes is really good, but look in the show notes and you'll find two exceptional pieces that I really, really, really enjoy. Um, So yeah, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Share it with a friend. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And we'll see you next time. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.